Hey folks, I know it's been a while since I uploaded an episode, but here we are again with this episode where we're going to talk about the perks of having church people or the perks of having people of faith in people's movements and in our movements for liberation. Stick around. Welcome to the Gumberza podcast where we explore the intersections of social justice, faith, and action. I hope this helps us continue growing and serving God by serving the people. I am your host, Janelle. Here's things that may be new to you. Alright, it's good to be back with you all. I felt like since New Year's had passed, you know, we're in a brand new year since Lunar New Year had passed, felt like it was a good opportunity to jump back into this podcast and especially in commemoration of 150 years since Filipino priests Mariano Gomez, Jose Burgos, and Jacinto Zamora were executed by Spain when Spain was um, colonizing, occupying the Philippines. So 150 years ago, these three priests were martyred, were executed publicly, and I thought it was a good opportunity to come back to this podcast, especially since this podcast is named after them, right? So Gomborza is a a combination of these three priest names, Gomez, Burgos, and Zamora. And they were executed 150 years ago, February on February 17th, 1872. And the reason I named this podcast after them is because I hope that it would remind me of the spirit of their solidarity with the poor, of their solidarity with workers, and of their being strong in their identity as Filipinos living under Spain's foothold in the Philippines at that time. And I thought that naming it after them would also remind all of us of the importance of continuing the legacy of people of faith like them and many others throughout history and those who are currently um, taking up the call of living into Jesus's revolutionary ministry or Jesus's movement, even to the point of sacrificing their lives and being killed um, by state violence. Just wanted to sort of make that connection and make sure to, to honor them um, and the lessons that have been learned since their time in participating in movement. Sometime last year, I reached out through Instagram to ask folks, you know, what are the perks, the gains, the pros, the advantages of having church people or people of faith in people's movements, in our movements for our collective liberation? It was a long time ago, so I don't know if y'all remember that you responded, if you did respond. But I got four responses, and I hope to cover them as we approach February 17th, and hopefully before we hit February 17th, but we'll see, you know. Um, So by no means are these four uh, responses an exhaustive list. You know, there are many perks for having people of faith in our movements. Also, you know, it depends on the context, the community, And that individual person of faith's gifts, graces, strengths, growing edges, the things that they're passionate about, you know, um, and their willingness to immerse with people and their being able to make the time to immerse with people as well. So here are the four responses. So um, Sadie, who's from San Francisco, clergy person from San Francisco, one of my colleagues said that um, one of the perks of having church people in people's movements is we know how to structure programs. Yuko, who is in Japan, said that in the secular context, the church's motivation or church people's motivation is clear and not for their own glory. Nikki S., who's out in Hayward, said that it's easier to earn the trust of the masses when you have church backing and 
the last uh, response that I got around this question. We have Becky from Oakland who said that um, it's easier for church people to recognize red flags of oppressive, egotistical leadership. So I hope that we can sort of do a overview of each one of these. Um, not all in this one episode, but you know, this episode we're going to focus in on the first response we got from Sadie who said that we know how to, or church people know how to structure programs. And in short, I agree. <laughs> Speaking, you know, I can only speak from the context of small churches in the Bay Area. That's mostly my my experience. You know, especially during this time of the pandemic, I've been able to see how church has been able to adapt their program pretty quickly. Like Sunday, Sunday mornings, first of all, we have to have a program every week and then adapting that to the context of the pandemic hella quickly um, churches were able to do so fairly fast in regards to sunday worship every worship service is a program i don't think folks who aren't regularly going to church really understand that that every worship service is a program every week pastors and folks who come to worship are being in the presence with the divine and the worship service serves as that container so that folks can um you know it's an opportunity for them to be intentional about that presence with the divine within that program you have elements of listening elements of proclaiming elements of singing of sharing words of sharing words collectively of sharing prayers with one another being able to hold them in community space for discernment space for recommitment spaces where you're invited to offer things out of graciousness where you're where you're encouraged to offer your actions and to make your faith come alive. There's a lot that goes on in that one hour. And as I said, I don't think non-churchgoers really understand that and appreciate, appreciate how much work goes into it. I know that even in some churches where it's more liturgical, meaning that they have more of a format and a regular routine, even if you have that structure, even if you have that routine, even if some of it is the same words over and over again, it's still a program that someone has to look at with intentionality and see if those are the words that f we want folks to say, if this is the feeling we want to invoke with folks, is this, if this is the way we want, we are inviting folks into presence with God. So I think a lot of listeners here, though, have had some kind of church experience or some kind of church upbringing. You know, I believe that church is not just belief, but culture, authentic community, service, and a place for growth, you know, at its best. These are the things that church is, and it's very much a cultural thing. And much of that is centered around the Sunday worship service program. Right. It's become that way, especially in our institutionalized churches. It's become that way. Like your main anchor is Sunday worship service. We even use that Sunday space to make connections to other ministries that are happening peripherally outside of Sunday worship service. Like if there was a food drive or other charity event, we try to incorporate that to facilitate meaning making for folks. If there's someone going off to college, you know, if someone just had a baby, if someone wants, um, if someone like has, is going through something in life, you know, um, we make space to recognize these pieces of life together. And we have to do that every, every week. I can't emphasize that enough. <laughs> and depending on the faith community, 
they're able to flow with the changes that may happen, you know, during the Sunday worship service, right? Something can happen. Like I know for a lot of folks who've moved to Zoom worship, they've had to deal with a lot of tech stuff, right? And then having to like keep holding the space despite tech things going wrong or despite, you know, someone reading the wrong passage in the Bible or despite, you know, someone not showing up when they had certain responsibilities that day. Church folks are generally pretty able to go with the flow and still hold the program. I think if you speak to any pastor or a lay person, meaning a non-clergy person who goes to church, if you ask them of any time they've had to wing it or things didn't go as expected, they will have a story for you. If not in Sunday worship, then at least in other, in another part of the ministry program. Um, so because of that, I find church people to be able to adapt on the spot. And I'm speaking also specifically about clergy, being able to, to speak on the spot, being able to make transitions and make segues in particular when, you know, some pastors, some clergy people are asked to um, MC events or to facilitate spaces for our movements um, and for spaces of advocacy and stuff like that, um, they've been able to do so. And I don't want to say that it's necessarily easy for us to do. We are just used to it. It's just something that we've had to exercise because we got to do it every week. I used to think that, you know, oh, pastors, I'm sure hell of people think that pastors only got to work on Sundays, but that's not true. Even preparing for, I know pastors that spend eight hours just writing their sermons, just the sermon part. That's like apart from making sure the music, the opening prayers, the, all of the stuff is, is being taken care of. And that's every single week, you know, that on top of like immersing with our congregants and also, um, encouraging folks to engage in change and to engage in their communities. There's a lot that pastors do. So active participants of making church happen on a regular basis because they exercise that muscle more, we tend to exercise that muscle more so than the regular person. Then we're able to pick up on things like meaning, things like flow, things like ritual, you know, meaning as in meaning making. Like what, how, what can we do to make this one hour most meaningful for certain people or for the most people possible, right? I mean, we can't hold all of it because got to leave room for the Holy Spirit to work too. But in those programs um, that happen, the worship service happens every Sunday, There, we, we reflect on the things that bring community together and remind them that they are part of something bigger than themselves and something that is timeless until we win our victory every Sunday. That's something that we work on. And I mentioned earlier flow. And when I say flow, I think some folks get it. But to bring some clarity for those of you who grew up in the era of mixtapes, not playlists, but mixtapes, you know, when like the order of each song mattered, <laughs> then you can probably understand what I mean by flow. You know, flowing from one track to another, you're carrying a listener through an experience, right? A mixtape can emotionally and energetically bring listeners up and down with the feel of the music, the instruments used, the singers, the lyrics. When someone makes a mixtape, they're thinking of these things. Or when someone's making you a good mixtape, they're thinking of these things. Where am I guiding the listener and what am I trying to communicate through the words of other people, through the music of other people? in um in this in this experience right so i see worship service like a mixtape i see it in similar ways 
And there are traditions that we still have to adhere to, right? There are some things in our worship service pro program that we have to have, some elements that we traditionally have to have in worship service. But as a whole, we're still guiding folks and supporting them in their presence with God. So people's movements can benefit from the sensitivity and the awareness of church folks, of people of faith folks, to programs. We notice if something is is just filled with talking heads. We notice if something feels a little bit dry and um, actually doesn't have the human touch to it. We notice if there is a lack of cohesion between one piece or another. We notice the words to songs. Uh, we know how to set the tone for the next section of the program. We tend to know how to roll with changes and to cover for them while still trying to hold authenticity you know, of, of our presence. Words are important to us. Silence is important to us. Song is important to us. Community is important to us. And we have learned and exercised uh, bringing these things together in specific ways every seven days. Then when one Sunday passes, we plan for the next, you know. It's not even considering the Christian seasons like Lent, Easter, Advent, Christmas, Pentecost, Transfiguration, all those special Sundays that we have. That's not even considering the additional services we do, like blessings, like church picnics, like memorial services, like Vesper services, prayer and healing services, and those spaces that happen outside of Sundays. Because I think for many church folks who don't want church to just be a social space, Clergy people are there to try to remind folks of why we're there in the first place, the meaning of it in the first place. And I think that's vital for uh, people's movements and spaces of um, movements for liberation. Because I think sometimes when we do programs and we move from one program to another, we tend to lose that part. Or when we're only talking to each other and we don't get to talk that much to the everyday person, to the masses, then we kind of lose that element sometimes in those spaces. And I think that church people, people of faith, have a good sensitivity of making sure that those things are in our programs, are in our events that we hold, um, are in those spaces that we hold that you know allow us to come together in resistance, that allow us to come together in ways um, where we are calling out against injustice and for transformation towards a better world. The word liturgy, liturgy is basically um, the, the different pieces that compose each service, right? I'm going to say that in short. The different pieces that compose each worship service, the liturgy, the words that are said, how things flow from one to another. Um, the Greek translation of the word liturgy is the work for the people or the work of the people. So it makes sense that you would benefit by having church people or people of faith because every Sunday they're doing the work for the people or the work of the people. I guess I could be in further conversation with this more and give more concrete examples, but I don't really want to. Yeah, <laughs> I'm more interested in seeing if there's anything that I missed. Are there other things that I missed in regards to this aspect of how church people and people of faith contribute to people's movements, to liberation spaces. Is there anything out there in addition, you know? Um, is there anything else out there in regards to how us doing program because every Sunday worship service is a program, how that may contribute to our movements, our experiences of being part of a movement 
have you had personal experiences? You experienced a program that flowed well, that was meaningful, um, that made you feel closer as community, whether there was a church person involved or not, you know. I'm curious how that program brought together those things for you. And with that, to close out this episode for now, I'm going to invite you to check out my YouTube channel. My channel's called That Rev Rev, T-H-A-T-R-E-V-R-E-V. There's not, it's not really popping right now or anything, but there's some stuff there. Or you could DM me on Instagram at that rev reverend, T-H-A-T-R-E-V-R-E-V-E-R-E-N-D. If you want to share other advantages, perks, or gains of having church people or people of faith in our uh, people's movements or in our movements for liberation, I want to hear about the experiences. I want to hear what y'all have come up with as well. If you're interested in learning more about the history of Gumburza, um, their contributions, and who they were, I encourage you to check out Kirby Araujo's uh, YouTube channel. Very informative stuff. Please go check it out. And in our next episode, we're going to take on the second response that I got, which is from Yuko in Japan, who raised that in the secular context, church people's motivation is clear and not for their own glory. So we'll delve into that next time. All right. Take care of yourselves. Peace.